You're listening to Wilderness Times, a podcast exploring the intersection of faith and justice, brought to you by Resistance Church and Jubilee United Church in Toronto. Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 2 of Wilderness Times, released on Thursday, April 20th, 2023. My name is Brianne Swan, and in partnership with Norm Seeley, I am one of the called ministers at Jubilee United Church, an affirming ministry of the United Church of Canada in Toronto. I also serve the Resistance Church community, one of Jubilee's digital ministries. I am so sorry for the large gap in between our episodes. I'm not really sure why it came as a surprise to me that Lent and Easter would be busy, but here we are, episode two of our second season. Next week, we will have a special crossover episode with our friends at Lawrence Park Community Church, where I will be talking about my involvement with incarcerated individuals in Texas. But this week... This week, we have a very special guest. Romero Gonzalez is an artist, a writer, and a friend to many. He is also incarcerated in the Allen B. Polensky unit on Texas's death row. Romero has been behind bars his entire adult life. We are currently in the season of Easter, having moved through Holy Week only just a couple of weeks ago. Churches across the world moved through rituals commemorating the day that the very God we worship was killed at the hands of the Roman state. And so I wanted to share with you an interview I did with Ramiro, whom I serve as spiritual advisor. The interview was recorded this past July, less than a week before his scheduled execution. Ramiro received a stay and is still alive as his outstanding legal matters are worked through in the courts. However, at the time, we did not know what was going to happen. We thought he only had days before his execution. As you will hear in a few minutes, prior to receiving his most recent execution date, Ramiro decided that he wanted to be a kidney donor before he died. You will hear about what that meant for him, his feelings about repentance and atonement, and how he and his lawyers have been trying to figure out how he can save a life through organ donation. This episode contains discussions about violence, and I would not recommend listening with small children around. I will link to additional news articles about Romero's attempt to donate his kidney in the show notes, but for now, we start with music. This is Amic Cutler with their song Foxes and Birds. You can hear more of Amic's music by going to our show notes at wildernesstimes.ca.
opportunity to donate a kidney? Yeah, so maybe a year and a half ago, um, from an individual named Michael Zeusman, who runs an organization called Jews Against the Death Penalty, um, September 14th, 2020, I think, I was moved to death watch with an execution date, um, I believe, for like April sometime, April 20th, I believe. But, um, Zeusman actually got in touch. We corresponded for maybe a few months before the issue came up. Um, not, not even a year, but our correspondence led to some of the people that he had on his um, um, Jews Against Death Penalty, just followers. And um, one, in, um, one specific friend whose wife was in need of a kidney, um, was requesting just, just I guess, information, and the, the conversation came up. Zeusman and I went over the facts. We went over just everything. We went over all the opportunities. We went over the legality part of it. If it could happen, me getting in touch with my attorneys, him getting in touch with this other individual, and um, their, host, their doctors, which um, eventually we ran into a wall because the... And the, the very first requested recipient or the one who contacted me, her doctors were not willing to work with uh, TDCJ or um, inmates. So um, 
I wish I could. It, I wish I could say it was all my idea, but it was not. Um, it was the brilliant idea of Michael Zusman. But thankfully, I've been um, intentionally um, been given good people in my life to think outside the box because sometimes I cannot. Yeah. And then you ended up not being a match for that particular candidate in Cantor Sussman's congregation, right? Well, n- no, we never even went through the through the um, through the lab work because their doctors weren't willing to work with TDCJ. Mm-hmm. This would right. This would later lead to again. We just hit a wall, and it just it kind of just went to the side until. Are you still willing to do this? And, you know, obviously there was no hesitant, I mean, I didn't hesitate at all. It was like, yes, you know, this is something that I really want to do for my own spiritual pursuits, um, just, just my spiritual beliefs and something that just really captivated my internal being because it gave me an avenue. It gave me an opportunity to help somebody, you know, and I do it here a lot. Um, when it comes to like advice, consolation, giving people comfort, being an encouragement. But it's so much more different when you're reaching somebody outside of your own environment. Um, you know, spirit, uh, biblically, it talks about greater love has no man than this, that a man give his life for his friends. But the love, the word love extends way beyond any borders. There are no borders. And, and that was the intention, which is... <sighs> Initially, that that's that's what it was all about. But having that second chance to find somebody else who is actually in need of a kidney, and maybe even being able to um, provide it. Can you say a bit more about that? About the faith-based reasons or motivations for this donation? Like, what, how how is this an expression of of your faith? Yeah. So. You know, everything, I think internally love, you always want to make atonement somehow for mistakes that you've made in, in your own past. But you know, since I've been locked up, I've never, I've never tried to condone the things I've done, but it's been so hard to accept the reality of like the shame um, because you've always wanted to grow up to be somebody everybody would be proud of. But with my cultural upbringings and just all the abuse and, you know, being so sequestered, being so secluded, um, there was no chance and opportunities and, and, you know, none of that. And and I ended up in, you know, drug addiction, a really bad, a really bad life. Um, after all of this happened and getting here, obviously, you know, having the opportunity to give somebody life. It's one of the greatest blessings that anybody could be, um, opportunities that somebody would be able to get. So, you know, spiritually with my faith, love, love is a driving force. But also, I mean, we strive to be like Christ. We strive to do better, to create good, to be a force for good. And being on Texas death row especially myself. I've been stigmatized, so strongly stigmatized. I've been called evil. And it's so weird because when I read the Bible, when God created man, he talks about it was very good. 
everything else he created prior to man was just good. But when he created man, it was very good. So every human being uh, is very good. But there's driving forces behind our intentions that drive us to, to the mistakes we make in, in life. And it sucks that you can't just take those things back, especially to the extent that, you know, the pain and the hurt and the loss that I've caused. You can't take it back. You can't replace none of that. And being able to have the opportunity to donate a kidney, when it comes to my Judeo-Christian worldview, it gives me a chance to make atonement. And not internally, because I've already made myself right with God. But you have that chance to give somebody a life. And you think about the life you've taken. So... I guess for my own conscience, for my own sense of atonement, I get that feeling where, I get that feeling where, you know, this is my chance to make everything right again. Um, and it won't, it, you know, it won't cause everybody to just be proud of me. It's not going to cause the hurt and the pain to go away for the victim's family. And I've striven to keep, um, you know, the greatest, the thing that hurts the most is the hate that I've caused within their lives. And I say hate because this is the feeling, this is the emotional feeling they have toward me. And it sucks so much to be the reason why somebody has this strong emotion. But now these are the driving forces that really um, make me want to go and do good, that make me want to do everything I can to save somebody's life. So given this opportunity, there's no, there's no way I'm going to hesitate. Um, so just the opportunity to give somebody life, you know, it doesn't matter who it is. Um, being able to donate a kidney and maybe parts of my liver for children is one of the greatest opportunities ever. Um, not only for the individual receiving it, but for my sense of atonement and, and giving back. It's time for Bible Bites. Since this interview was recorded in July, I didn't have a chance to ask Ramiro for a piece of scripture for us to reflect on together. So instead of Bible verses for our Bible Bites segment, I offer this prayer that Romero wrote a couple of years ago. Keeping Awake in the Prison Cell was written especially to be shared with congregations in the United Church of Canada. It is performed by Todd Catrivo. Father, I pray to you in my midnight hour, seeking your love, patience, wisdom, and presence. My walls have fallen, my spirit is exposed. I seek refuge in you, especially at this hour. Though my death be defeated, 
its hand is upon me. But in you, Father, there is light everlasting. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? A thousand may fall at my side, and then a thousand all around me. But I will fear nothing, for you are my mighty fortress, my strong tower. In my midnight hour, I see little light, if any light at all. Within me a fire turns to embers, and a heart full of doubt. Yet through you, Holy Spirit, I discover courage and a light to my path. In you, I can weather any storm. Create within me, Father, the heart of a mighty warrior fit for battle, yet humble and contrite before you as a child before his mother. Because my heart to stand steadfast in your love, knowing that life everlasting, life eternal, is death defeated. Fan the embers and ignite them full of holy fire. Fuel the fire with praise to his name. My God will come for me in the night, in a vision I see in a dream, with deliverance and prosperity. For he is my portion, my promise to be fulfilled. Is that the thing that you want people to know the most about your motivations is just like, what would you say to somebody who's, who's, you know, reading these news articles and thinking to themselves like, oh, sure. Now he's trying. Now he's yes. trying to donate. Yeah, it's so weird to think that people make assumptions based on no evidence whatsoever. And we're prone to do it. Um it's like we we don't give nobody any second chances or any second looks at all. It's just like, especially with Texas death row, inmates are so stigmatized by their good intentions. It's like nothing good can come out of Texas death row because our politicians, our judicial system has already said that these are the worst of the worst. But we've striven, we've endeavored to do the best we can back here. And, there are God, and I don't speak for for all the 197 death row inmates that remain. But every single one of them has so much good. They have talent. They have integrity. And they strive every day to do their best, to not be driven by bad intentions, sometimes being provoked in this place. And all they do is turn their heads and just walk to their bunk and basically ignore it because they want to do better. They want to be greater. And, you know, for me, this is not a stall tactic. This is not something that's just all of a sudden that I got to date. Because if anybody's going to just, you know, I've never, <clears throat> I think from, from the get-go, I've always been one of those advocates of, like, I deserve to die. Like there's, 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 it's never, it's never something that I've not thought about because I can see the pain. I realize it. 
the, the pain that I've caused, the loss, all of these things. Um, but I also see that as an individual, as an individual being, I, I've done all that I can to, to be better than my, than my mistakes, to be greater, um, not to allow my mistakes to, divine, to define my character and nature, um, and just to, just to surpass, to exceed the expectations or the stigmatizing um, definitions that the state has just put on us. These are the driving forces that cause us to do better, to be better, to be greater, all of those things. But, you know, to those who think that this is just all of a sudden because I got an execution date, it's not. It's on record. Um, and people know. People here know about it. But What were some of the steps that you took? So, yeah, um, you know, getting with the attorneys, obviously, is one of the first steps. Making sure that I had a legal right, which I really don't, but I feel like it's my own autonomous consent. It's my autonomy to want to do it, and I, I feel like I have the right to do that. But, you know, we had to go through just just getting advice. Is it something that we could do? And when we got the green light, so to speak, the very first time I was told that, yeah, this is something we can do, the recipient, the second recipient who actually uh, was also on board, whose doctors were also on board, um, once we once we settled that and they were really they were they were ready and willing, they initiated the contact, and you know I gave my word. I also made sure that the the warden here, along with the state, knew that this is something I was doing uh, under the the most the, the strictest confidential confidentiality as possible. It was not to get out to the to the public. It was not to get a stay. It was not for my appeal purposes whatsoever. This was just to give this person a kidney because she needed a kidney. She wanted to live. Obviously, everybody wants to live. But my intentions were I might as well do it now because I might get executed and it would be a waste, but also mm -hmm. it would be an opportunity to give somebody life. So... I remember it, it, these conversations that you and I were having too. You would write to me and you were wanting to donate the kidney, but you were very clear. You didn't want people to know about it. Sure. It, you didn't want people to think that it was a, some sort of publicity stunt or some, some tactic to delay your right. execution. Right. I've done my best to stay out of, stay out of, you know, the public. Um, there's been documentaries come by by National Geographic who've requested. There have been other documentaries from overseas. And I've said no. You know, I've said no because every time, every time somebody comes by with a request for a documentary, the very first person I think about is Bridget Townsend's mother. Is it fair for her and her family? Is it fair for them to see my face? On, on a public, you know, just in public, for whether it's good or not. I mean, it, it's just not fair. It's not fair to them. It's not right for, the, for, for me to do that. I feel like it reopens and re-aggravates the old wounds. And um, I've done my best just to not to do that. Um, but, again, this was supposed to be done confidentially. And the state... They agreed to it, and once they found out that the recipient that I requested was not a match, they decided that they would not allow me to donate to another equally potential recipient who was in need of a kidney. 
um, I think the statistics show like uh, anyone with a rare blood type waits like seven to ten years. I have a B blood type, so it's rare. And mm-hmm. the, with a B blood type, you can only give and receive from that blood type. So these people who need a kidney wait, you know, up to ten years. And then you got the statistic of thirteen people die a day because there's no donor to give them um, a kidney. Uh, you know, just the investigation behind this is so sad because you got so many people out there in the world who could be potential donors, but they don't. Um, I think last time I heard, like, 3% of population donates blood. Why can't I donate blood? What's wrong with my blood? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't. I, I, they've already tested it. It's good. I mean, am I that am I that stigmatized? Is it because I'm a convicted felon that I can't that I can't donate blood for somebody to have it to save somebody's life? I mean, I don't get. It just doesn't make any sense not to allow me to do this one benevolent thing, this one blessing to give somebody life. And again, I would have done it without anybody even knowing. So if this was your last shot at telling people why you want to do this? Why do I want to do it? Um, You know, I think the main reason is just... In retrospect, when you think about all the pain you've caused, when you think about, like, the people you've hurt... um, You know, things you did, you can't take back. There's nothing you can do to make it better. Um, Nothing. You know, there's nothing. Absolutely nothing. And I think my, you know, my religious pursuits have been one of the greatest things that have, it's been instrumental. It's been one of the strongest components in my life because it's helped me to change. It's helped me to see the sacredness and the sanctity of life, um, not only in people around me, but in myself, the humanity in myself, apart from my mistakes. And, you know, when you think about, when I think about the life I took, uh, for years now, I've thought about how I could give it back. And again, you can't. So when this came up, the first thing I thought about was, wow, here's my chance. And I don't even care about people knowing or not knowing. They don't have to know. It's just for me. It's just for me. Between me and God and the person receiving the kidney, and not even, and they didn't even have to know who I was. Um, so this isn't, that, this isn't that all of a sudden type of stunt for my appeals. It's just, it's just to make atonement for my own self. Just to feel like I did something good, um, and I, I think I, I think I deserve that much. I lift my eyes up to the hills. This my morning song, where my strength comes from. I lift my eyes up to the hills This my evening song Where my help comes from This is the gravity of love 
Just as the moon follows the sun, you're all around me. You're holding everything. This is the hope of every land. Just as the universe expands, your love is reaching. You're holding everything. We lift our eyes up to the was Gravity of Love by The Brilliance. You can learn more about The Brilliance, including finding links to their music, by going to our show notes at wildernesstimes.ca.
Wilderness Times and Resistance Church are part of the digital ministry of Jubilee United Church. We are committed to continuing offering opportunities for spiritual engagement in digital spaces in the long term, but we need your help. Please consider a donation as an investment in this ministry. You can find our donations page by going to wildernesstimes.ca donate. From there, you can choose Wilderness Times from the drop-down menu. Whether you donate once or sign up for a monthly contribution, we are very, very grateful for your support. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode. We will be back next week, for sure, with our friend Roberta Howie from Lawrence Park Community Church. I will be discussing my experience of being a spiritual advisor on Texas Death Row. But until then, take care of yourselves and each other in these wilderness times. We'll see you soon. Wilderness Times and Resistance Church are ministries of Jubilee United Church, which is an affirming ministry of the United Church of Canada. You can find links to Jubilee, Resistance Church, as well as a full transcript of this episode by going to our show notes at wildernesstimes.ca.